From the friendly frontier, this is Everything West Texas. This podcast is brought to you in part by Floyd Miller Investments and the West Texas Tribune. Hosted by the man himself, Mr. Floyd Miller. All the information conveyed during this show is intended to inform, educate, and resonate with integrity and credibility. We may make you laugh, we may even make you cry, but never will we speak out against you or about you. We want to speak with and for you because every voice deserves to be heard. The views and opinions expressed on this show are meant to stimulate, not offend, and we reserve the right to edit content and outside participation to preserve the ethical value and professional principles of operation structure, maintain a platform for interaction and information. Join us as we explore trending topics in news, politics, sports, business, education, faith, and the people, places, graces of creating a ripple in the surface of the big country. Your host of Everything West Texas, streaming on all major podcast platforms for your listening and viewing fulfillment, investment professional and editor-in-chief, Mr. Floyd Miller. Where the cotton grows and the oil flows, here's Everything West Texas. Listening to KVVO LP Abilene 94.1 FM on your radio dial. My name is Crystal King, and I'm here with my wonderful friend, Mr. Floyd Miller, and my new wonderful friend, Chief Dudley. And they are going to have an interview that's going to really bless the community. Hope that we can learn something and be able to uh, just uh, enjoy uh, the message that is going to be put forth. I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Mr. Floyd Miller. Um, hello, I am Floyd Miller, host of It's Everything West Texas, and I'm the editor of the West Texas Tribune. And I'm so excited to be here today with this collaborative effort with KVVO 94.1 Wildfire Radio Ministry. Miss Crystal King is at the controls. I believe that our interview today has the potential to affect everyone in our city in a positive way. I will be speaking to our new chief of police, Mr. Marcus Dudley. Mr. Dudley is the first black man to hold this position in Abilene's 140-year-plus history. This is a historical interview from the standpoint, if you've been watching what's been going on in our nation, there has been a lot of things. There's been a lot of uh, unrest. And fortunately, Abilene has not uh, experienced that same amount of unrest, and we certainly hope that it will not experience that. Today, as I said, we have our chief, new chief of police, Marcus Dudley, with us, and we want to hear his vision uh, for the future and what he intends to do to keep our city safe. Because at the end of the day, we want a win-win situation. We want police officers uh, to go back home. We want citizens to go back home. So at this time, I would like to say welcome uh, to Chief Dudley, welcome to Abilene, and welcome to the program. Mr. Miller, thank you for mu- so much for having me here this afternoon. It's, uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to be here with you. Well, thank you uh, for coming in. We have some uh, interesting questions about your vision, but first of all, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and those type things? All right. Well, I'm a 51-year-old male, uh, African-American male, who grew up in Oklahoma, uh, the Oklahoma City area. I uh, also lived in a little town called El Reno, 
for a period of time before eventually graduating from John Marshall High School in Oklahoma City. Uh, I received a football scholarship and went to college in Kansas, uh, Bethany College. Uh, and then uh, after a couple of years of playing football on a scholarship, I made the decision that I wasn't going to go to the NFL. So uh, I may as well focus on my studies. Well, uh, I lost scholarship money, so that led to me uh, deciding that I needed to join the U.S. Army Reserves. Uh, I, my, my senior year, uh, I ultimately ended up getting activated for the first, first Gulf War. So I went overseas and served in the combat zone in Operation Desert Shield Storm. Thank you for your service. I, 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 I was happy to serve. Um, returned uh, back uh, after a six-month tour uh, and took a summer school class and finished up in the fall uh, and then landed a job working for an environmental engin engineering firm for five years. Uh, did that and and ultimately decided that it was uh, there was a higher calling, something that I could be doing for my community. So I joined the police department, the Aurora Police Department in Colorado. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about uh, your family, wife, children, things of that nature, if you don't mind sharing it with us, and then we'll talk about the police work. <laughs> Not at all. Um, my wife uh, is a school teacher. Uh, we've been happily married since 2005, and uh, she and my daughters, uh, Marisa and Amari, uh, they're both uh, still in Colorado, uh, a 12-year-old and a, a 10-year-old. And then I do have an older son who's 25 from a previous marriage. Uh, he's graduated from the University of Colorado at Boulder, in, uh, and he's living on his own in Denver. So all of them are still out there in Colorado uh, waiting on school to be out in May, and then they'll transition to Abilene. Okay, well, we look forward to having them come, and I know that you certainly look forward to having them come. You mentioned that uh, you got into police work as a higher calling. Would you kind of give me a backstory on that? Yeah, at that particular time, um, I was a, a financial analyst and uh, had felt that I could make more of a difference uh, being in law enforcement. I did have that military police background from the military, and so to me it seemed like a natural transition to, to go into civilian law enforcement. Uh, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of African-American males that were in the positions, and so I, I saw that as a, a place where I could make a difference. Well, again, we are happy that you are here, and we want to find out what type of difference you might be able to make in our city. You are coming in. Uh, behind the chief of police that was uh, very uh, popular, but we know that everybody's got their own ideas and their own vision. So, first of all, I want to know, what do you see as the most important thing of your job? Well, I believe the most important thing for me to do is to uh, set the vision for the organization. And... Uh, uh, that is uh, valuing our community and the service that we're to provide. And fortunately, I inherited an organization where that already exists. So I see my role as needing to take us to that next level, to further enhance uh, things that are, are working well uh, through use of technology, uh, through uh, sound best practices, uh, so that we uh, make sure that uh, we don't allow ourselves to be tripped up in law enforcement by the things that have uh, ended up being an issue by so many departments across the country. Chief, I noticed on the APD website, right below your name, 
was these words, respect, integrity, service above self, and excellence. How do you model that in your life, and how do you encourage that behavior in your offices? Well, whenever I go to briefings, um, I try to make sure that I set the tone of the expectations that I have for the officers by making sure they understand what I live by, which is also being present and accountable. Um, as long as they're consumed with their duties and they're serving our citizens, they're less likely to be in trouble. Uh, you will find yourself in a lot of trouble uh, when you deviate from that, when you're not present and accountable. I also ask that our officers take good care of themselves and that they also take good care of each other uh, because there are so many issues that officers can face in their personal lives uh, and at times in their professional lives that can conflict with their ability to serve their citizens. So it's important that they take care of themselves and each other. When you talk about taking good care of themselves, what would that look like? What are you kind of asking your officers to do? Mr. Miller, that's an outstanding question because oftentimes when uh, you say that, uh, our officers immediately think you're talking about physical conditioning and that you're talking about going to the weight room or going to go get a run. Uh, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's also the mental aspects of taking care of yourself. Uh, that's making sure that when you're away from the job that you uh, engross yourself in your family, that you engross yourself in your faith, and, and that you find other, other ways to uh, relieve the stress uh, so that when you can come back to the job, you're refreshed and, and have uh, a new uh, perspective uh, to be able to offer our citizens. Um, another question on that, you know, how does an officer do that? I mean, you know, when, when officers are off duty, when they're in the uh, grocery store or anywhere, they, uh, you know, some of them still have their weapons. I suppose they are always alert, always looking a little bit for, for what might happen. So. Yeah, that's that's true that there's a certain amount of awareness of your surroundings and, and officer safety considerations that we we teach uh, or train our officers uh, from the time they start the academy. Uh, but uh, at some point, um, if you don't allow yourself to recharge and not always be on guard, uh, then you can have this perception that everybody is a threat. And we don't want our officers to be on that side of the line. Okay. What is the job of a police officer? I mean, when a guy, I mean, what should that guy be doing when he's out there? I mean, what a guy, a girl, where does that go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, service to community is really what it's about. And that takes many different forms within a shift. Uh, in some instances, that could be traffic enforcement. Uh, some instances, it's it's responding to calls for service and just being available for when uh, folks in our communities are in crises. Uh, but but at other times, it's just recognizing the value of the the sanctity of human life and just uh, interacting and engaging with people uh, in a way that uh, shows them respect and and uh, uh, that you appreciate them as much as as hopefully they appreciate us. Uh, I'm going to mention uh, this. I noticed uh, the other day, uh, Marv Rogers passed away, who was the uh, market president of Big Brothers Big Sisters. And 
my daughter was out doing an interview and a police officer was one of the one of the bigs. So I know that uh, some of your officers are involved in Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Is there other organizations that you're aware of that they uh, give back to the community? You know, there are a number. I think the, the leading uh, places where officers spend time is the uh, their church community. And we have a number of churches in Abilene, uh, and I know many of our officers are Sunday school teachers. Uh, many of our officers uh, commit themselves to coaching in their spare time. Uh, so it, it's, I don't have any particular one organization, uh, but the BIGS program is definitely uh, one where uh, some of our officers uh, have committed to. Uh, another thing that the officers do besides those uh, nonprofit groups, um, uh, charitable organizations, uh, is that they participate uh, every year in the Operation Blue Santa, uh, which is uh, an opportunity for officers to raise funding and, and go out and buy Christmas gifts uh, at Christmas time and then to make deliveries to families that are, are less fortunate. Okay. Um, I know that uh, it is a tough job being a police officer, and you may hear anything, and you probably see see a lot of different things. Uh, when an individual is confronted, uh, say a police officer confronts an individual, and um, that individual is a little belligerent. Maybe they, um, I don't know, maybe a bad day or whatever, but they just, they just don't want to be bothered. And so maybe they use language that they should not use. They're not doing anything physically, but they're definitely doing, they're not talking like they should. So is there uh, training to kind of de-escalate those type situations? Uh, what are you telling your officers to do in situations like that? Our officers do go through training and de-escalation approaches, and um, they also are aware that it's our policy not to uh, speak to folks in a manner uh, that uh, involves uh, cursing at our citizens, um, showing them uh, disrespect. Uh, um, but the way that we verify that that's not occurring is that we require them to have their body-worn cameras on. And uh, we're fortunate here in Abilene in that our uh, camera system cuts on, it activates itself automatically when our emergency lights are activated in the cars. And that triggers the in-car camera as well as the body-worn cameras. And so those interactions are recorded right away. And uh, we do go back and we watch those. In fact, I've received two complaints uh, on officers uh, on traffic stops uh, since I've been here the past three months. And uh, we were able, in taking a look at those, uh, the, the body-worn camera video, to not only verify that they were legitimate traffic stops, uh, but also that the officers did conduct themselves appropriately. Um, although it didn't feel that way at the time for our citizen, and I, you know, don't get me wrong, I think that the citizen, if they feel that they were disrespected, they should bring that to our attention so that we can take a look at the situation. I encourage that. Uh, because uh, I want our citizens to have an understanding that not only uh, do we care and value uh, what their concerns are, uh, 
but that uh, you know, we're also going to be transparent and sit down with them and, and allow them to see where the interaction went as, as the officer was trained. Okay, so every time that light goes on, the police officer and the citizen is on candid camera, if you want to say that. Okay, so that's correct. So that's every, everybody's got the camera on them. Okay, so that uh, should give people some degree of safety. And you just said that if a person complains or they have a complaint, uh, they should feel free to to bring that to your attention or to the to that person's commanding officer. Correct. There's uh, multiple ways for a citizen to lodge a complaint. Uh, one of those is to uh, contact dispatch and the request, and that's you know through uh, the non-emergency police department number. Ask dispatch to have a supervisor contact them. Uh, and they will uh, put them in touch with a supervisor who will then uh, take the complaint and, and investigate it. We also have the ability for our citizens to go online and make a commendation or a complaint. Uh, they complete the form and then email it back, uh, and then that gets uh, looked into. Uh, and uh, I've recently uh, I have a police administrative lieutenant uh, that I'm designating as my executive officer to the chief of police who will be responsible for looking into all initial inquiries uh, in terms of complaints and deciding if it needs to be routed back to a supervisor or if it needs to be brought to my attention so that I can uh, initiate an internal affairs investigation. Well, in that um, uh, incident, I think you said, well, there was a couple of traffic uh, stops that were reviewed. Uh, did the citizen get to see that? Or was the citizen recontacted about that? Yes, that's correct. Um, now, uh, what I had to caution the citizen about was that there is a, a criminal justice process so that if they're issued a citation, they have to go and argue that citation in a court of law before a judge. Uh, that's not something that we're going to resolve. Uh, but if uh, uh, being able to sit down uh, with me and to look at the video and uh, determine whether or not the officer conducted themselves uh, in an appropriate fashion, if, if that's going to benefit the situation for the citizen, and then, yes, I've made that decision to do that. Oh, okay. What is it that you would want the citizens of Abilene to know about your police officers? What is it that you believe about them that you want the citizens to know? Well, they have an incredible police force, a force that is full of officers that are selfless, uh, these officers I see on a routine basis go above and beyond to make sure that our citizens uh, are happy and respected and dealt with appropriately. And, and uh, uh, they should feel that confidence um, because I can tell you, um, I see it all the time and not only our citizens, but I'm sorry, not only in our officers, but also in our citizens and the level of support that they show. And that's across all lines, um, you know, whether you're a person of color or whether you're uh, someone who is, is white. Um, I notice that uh, folks show officers in our community respect and appreciation for the job that they do. And, and Abilene is just different. You know, I, I came here from a big city and uh, I can tell you that uh, despite the fact of the challenges that are going on across the country, uh, not that we're absolved from having those kinds of issues, but I will tell you that the officers and their belief in working for our citizens is at a whole nother level 
uh, that I'm completely impressed with, and they should know that. Um, a question about uh, illness. There are some illnesses that uh, mimic, almost mimic being drunk. One of those is uh, diabetes. So when you go, when one of your arresting officers go up and see someone, what precautions are taken to try to figure out whether this is a medical situation or maybe it's a DUI or something of that nature? So the officers have to initiate some sobriety tests uh, to an individual, and uh, some of those tests are designed to ensure that we're not uh, making a mistake in, in uh uh, how we're perceiving a person's behavior uh, and that it maybe is not related to being intoxicated but is some some sort of an illness. Uh, when that, you know, should an officer uh, get the wrong cues and take someone into custody, uh, then there's a blood or breath test that's administered. That is one more step to ensure that a mistake isn't being made about intoxication. Uh, and, and so it is through those processes that we hope to get it right. Uh, but, but when all that process is done, uh, folks still have the ability to take their case to trial and to be able to have it demonstrated there that it wasn't related to a, a medical illness. Well, I just think this is so critical because sometimes people, for example, if a person has low blood sugar, they may never, they may never get to trial. They may not survive. So I'm just glad that you all are doing whatever you can to particularly um, flush that one out. Uh, I suppose epilepsy, that's probably a number of uh, things that could come under that. Well, and I would, I would just add that if, if someone is exhibiting signs that go beyond um, being able to, pro to do the roadside sobriety tests, our first duty is to uh, take care of the life of the person that we've stopped. And so we will be summoning in uh, our medical crews to uh, take a look and examine the person. And we'll deal with the other aspects of things after, but we, we definitely want to render care first. Okay. And another one that probably is tough, as tough, and we see uh, across the country, this is where it, it seemed like, some of the casualties are coming in. We hear about mental illness. How do you how do you break that one down? When do you send somebody out that um, that maybe could help in a better way, a different way than what police officers might? Initially, our dispatchers, when they receive a call, they will attempt to screen uh, the process uh, or the call and to see whether or not. Uh, having a mental health practitioner involved um, could divert uh, having a police response. Uh, and, and if it, it's still not clear uh, to dispatchers, then they can uh, have one of our community response teams go out. And the community response team is made up of a police officer, a paramedic from the fire department, and a mental health practitioner. And they ride together in a vehicle, and they respond and do follow-up on calls. Uh, so that's another advantage that we have in our city uh, over other cities in terms of having that cohesive response where police are responding with 
uh, folks that can, can render medical care for people who are in crises. Um, we also have the ability, when those two teams aren't working, to have uh, patrol officers uh, have a tablet where they can uh, send messages to a mental health practitioner and let them know who they're in contact with, what the circumstance is, and to see if we can do a virtual meeting. And that all came about because of the pandemic. It was becoming harder and harder to get people face-to-face with practitioners. So the tablet is another resource that our patrol officers can use to communicate with a mental health practitioner to hopefully deviate us from just going to jail uh, with someone that's in crisis. Um, Chief, if you could just wave a magic wand, what would Evelyn, Texas Police Department be under your administration? Oh, well, I believe in God, not fairy tales. And so because of that, I, I would just say that uh, uh, as a Sunday school teacher once told me, it's my responsibility to pray like it all depends on God, but to do like it all depends on me. And so rather than, than wave a magic wand, I, I would uh, uh, make sure that you know, the values um, that I lay out uh, meet with those that best serve the community. Uh, and that will involve community partnerships. That will involve uh, the use of technology to better help us to do our jobs so that we're not just constantly hiring police officers to be on every corner, but that we're allowing technology to help aid us in, in how we do things. And then we form good, solid relationships, partnerships uh, with our nonprofit organizations because they are an invaluable resource to be able to serve the community because not every matter is a police matter. Uh, so although we get the call, we want those partnerships to be able to to uh, get folks diverted to the right folks. Uh, you mentioned how you don't want to just continue to hire police officers over and over. I know that uh, sometime in the past we've had officers to go to bigger cities, um, maybe a little more money. How, how competitive are we? Are we competitive in that space now? Well, we, we are competitive in terms of compensation uh, for our area. Fortunately, our elected officials and our city management uh, value uh, our officers, and they try to make sure that our pay is, is pretty significant. Um, but I, I think that uh, we don't do as good of a job at recruiting, and we got to do better, uh, especially because we have three universities that are right here in our own backyard, we have the Dias military base here. Uh, those That's prime area for us to be uh, hiring folks from. And so uh, we can we can do better in those areas. And one of the initiatives I'll have will involve uh, designating, identifying someone to be a full-time, uh, well, not necessarily full-time as that's all their job is, but they will have the responsibility for coming up re- with recruiting initiatives, specifically in our own backyard right here in Abilene. Thank you. Um, you know, sometimes we watch the news and we see incidents where, you know, you just kind of wonder what what happened. And that's probably maybe nobody intended for things to happen the way it did sometimes. So I want to take, I would like for you to just kind of take us through a traffic stop out here, let's say on, on Butternut person is driving along, they've got uh, a tail light out, 
officer notices that. He can see that. But the other thing is that this individual is licensed to carry, and he's got it. So when the when the policeman turns on his light, and when that individual in the car sees that light, what should each individual be thinking from your perspective? So I think it's important that the citizen realize uh, that the officer is expecting them to pull over uh, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. And once uh, the citizen pulls over, uh, to know that the officer is going to approach the vehicle in a safe manner, and they're going to want to uh, have the citizen provide their driver's license, proof of insurance, and registration. Those three things should already be um, accessible. So if you're going to get behind the wheel, know exactly where those items are, should you ever be stopped. At that point, uh, knowing that the citizen is, is carrying a weapon, uh, they should keep their hands on the steering wheel, allow the officer to come up, and advise the officer that they are carrying a weapon. The weapon is for protection, uh, and, uh, and then wait for the instruction of the officer. Uh, have the officer direct and guide what they're asking, and if there's any questions about uh, what the 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 person the officer is asking, uh, to raise those questions before they begin to move, and uh, to make sure they describe what they're doing uh, as they're making those movements, so that it's clear to the officer that they want it to be known and recorded that these are the actions that they're taking, uh, and then. Uh, uh, to just comply with what the officer asks after that. Okay, so you definitely said that the citizen should be prepared to stop. So accelerating is probably not a good thing at that point. Um, the citizen should keep their hands on the steering wheel. So. If you happen to get up there, I understand what you're saying is protocol, and that's what should happen. But if that person has not got their driver's license out, if that stuff is not on the dashboard, and particularly, particularly if this individual is going to tell you that he's he's got a weapon, is there? I mean, what? Where do you go from there? How do you keep it safe beyond that point? Well, the notion behind keeping your hands in your steering wheel, it was basically me saying, keep your hands in sight. So, you know, that could mean many different things up in the air, up on the dashboard. Uh, you know, I think you make a great point when you pointed out that things may not be readily available. Uh, but, you know, remember that the officer is looking for deviations from compliance. Uh, so if the officer is making contact and a person is uh, uh, trying to be argumentative and not wanting to comply, that's where uh, behaviors can be escalated. Um, but what allows for the de-escalation is uh, compliance, or at least that's the way it should be. And so by uh, keeping your hands in sight and making it clear that you know, I understand what you're looking for, officer, you're going to want driver's license, proof of insurance, registration. I don't have them. But as I told you, I'm armed, and uh, you know, you tell me how you want me to grab those items, and, and I'll get them for you. 
and uh, just just complying with what the officer asks at that point. Uh, and there should not be any issues. And if there are, the time to argue those issues is not right then. Um, you know, comply with what the officer says and then raise the challenges after. And there should and would be an investigation uh, uh, in, in, in looking into whatever those issues were. But it's the, the time of challenge is not in that particular moment. Okay. Also, is there ever time, you know, I mean, I know we're in such a litigious society, but is there ever time to just say, I was wrong, I was wrong? Um, you know, different things happen because of different reasons, but I'm just saying that if, I don't want to give um, an example because I don't. I guess I don't want to go into a specific case. But if something is just a person makes an accident, I mean it's just really an accident. That's that's all it is. Is it ever okay to just say I'm wrong? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm not clear on the context. Uh, if you're talking from a, a law enforcement standpoint and, and should law enforcement agencies be willing uh, to commit to their citizens that they will admit when they do something wrong, I, I absolutely agree that that should be the case. Uh, I'm a strong advocate for reexamining how we police. And, um, you know, one of the ways that, that I try to do that is um, after a critical incident takes place, I believe in making contact with uh, the family of uh, someone who has uh, been victimized and um, wanting to make sure that uh, our department uh, makes available what resources uh, need to be provided. And so I'm advocating uh, right now for a victim's advocate for our victims of adult crimes, because I think it's very, very important that someone not be re-traumatized by the system. Um, and that can happen when you allow only investigators to do follow-up with someone who's been victimized or when you have a patrol officer contacting someone who's been victimized. It just feels like you're being re-victimized all over again. But having someone on staff who understands what resources are available and who takes the initiative to follow up with people that have been traumatized uh, is invaluable to our community and to our relationships as a police department with the folks in the community. And so... Uh, I, I think that's another way we can re-examine how we do do things uh, in policing. And uh, I also agree, though, that if we do wrong, if we make a mistake, we need to own it. What, what is it that the citizens of Abilene could do to help the Abilene uh, Police Department or just law enforcement in general in this area? You know, one, we do an exceptional job, and I'm not just making that up. I mean, I've seen what law enforcement and, and, and the relationships with them and their communities, when it's adverse, when it's confrontational, what that looks like. We all see it. And it's not a good situation. And crime has flourished. Uh, it's increased. And you, know, you and I both know that just like officers want to prevent and suppress crime, our citizens don't want to live in a community full of crime. Uh, none of us wants to be victimized. And so... I think the partnerships that are already here are incredible. Uh, I think that staying with our, our roots, uh, what we're about as a people, as a country, 
with regards to our faith and not being afraid to, to love Christ, uh, I think is invaluable to us in our communities. Uh, and I think that we need to continue to do that. But what I would encourage is that we, we not stop being deliberate about having interactions with one another. Uh, that's why I do uh, church visits uh, to multiple churches. That's why I attend community events and, and I invite folks to join us at the police department for events because we have to make an effort to stay in touch with one another. Otherwise, we lose touch and then we become apart and, and uh, we have the kind of issues that some of those other places do. Uh, Chief Dudley, is there anything else that you would like to say to the Abilene community? Yeah, I would just say that uh, when I first got here, uh, I had a, a deep affection for the community of Abilene. And I thought that my heart was pretty full, uh, not only with the affection that I have for our community, but also with what I've seen and uh, seen within the organization, the police department, uh, and my, my compassion for the folks that I work alongside. And then we went through a, a very interesting crisis in these first two months between snow blizzards uh, and, and, and traffic fatalities and, and countless things that have happened. And I seen our community rise to a whole nother level. And when I thought my heart couldn't grow anymore, uh, the fondness and affection, the love for Abilene has, has only increased. And that's proof that, that uh, God makes our hearts uh, much, much larger than we ever imagined. And, and this has been incredible for me. So uh, I would just say to our Abilenians that uh, I love what I do. Uh, I love our community. And I look forward to the great things we'll be able to do moving forward. Chief Dudley, we thank you for this interview. We're glad that you are in our city and you are just kind of on the edge of uh, starting your career here with us. I hope that it's a long and prosperous one, and we pray that God bless you and your family as well as the citizens of this uh, city. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This podcast has been sponsored by the West Texas Tribune and Floyd Miller Investments. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through FSC Securities Corporation, FSC member FINRA SIPIC. FSC is separately owned and other entities and are marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of FSC. Floyd Miller can be reached at 3300 South 14th Street, Suite 100, Abilene, Texas, or by phone at 325-676-0138.